we uh, we were wrapping up uh, on the fruit of the spirit. Galatians chapter five verses twenty three through twenty three. We're looking at the last two fruit of the spirit. But the, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Against such things there is no law. So we're going to look at the last two of the fruit. In being faithfulness and self-control, we kind of skipped over one uh, because the gentleness and kindness kind of went together. So this morning we're doing faithfulness and self-control. So faithfulness. What does it mean to be faithful? Well, we, we live in a faithless world. And I don't know that it's any different than it's ever been. Uh, a faithless world. I look at faithlessness in relationships. We look at the divorce rate, for instance. Um, faithlessness. Look in business, the, the, the amount of uh, litigation through broken promises and broken contracts. Uh, I, I look at our government and the lack of faithfulness that we see on a, on a governmental level. And I even see it in the church, quite frankly. Um, uh, we still have a lot of what I call church hopping people. Uh, you know, go from church to church and church. They stay at one church for maybe for a year or two, and then they, they get bored or whatever, and they leave and go to another church. And, and I'm not saying that, that it's, it's never wrong to leave a church. Don't get me wrong. But it's just one church after another. They just have a hard time being faithful to any one congregation. Um, what does it mean there to be faithful? If you're to say, I want you to be faithful, what are we talking about? Well, simply, it's being reliable. It's being trustworthy. It's it's being true to one's word, to one's promise, or one's vow. When we go to weddings and two people stand up in front and they give vows to each other, they, they, vows of faithfulness. So here's what I want, I want you to think about in terms of faithfulness. Just one word, okay? Commitment. Think of faithfulness in terms of one word, commitment. We see a lot of lack of commitment. In our world today. Well, let's look at, first of all, the faithfulness of God. Turn to the book of Lamentations. Now, here's how you find it. Go to Jeremiah in your Old Testament, and it's right after Jeremiah because it was written by Jeremiah. Jeremiah should be relatively easy to find. Lamentations chapter 3. Probably have not spent a lot of time in this book in your devotional or quiet time, but... What's that? It really is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, at the end it is. <laughs> it has a good ending, which, which is what I like. Everybody there? Go to Jeremiah and then come one over one. It's Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now, how many of you have been in the church? And you, there's, a hurt, there's a hymn that we sing, Great is your faithfulness. Well, okay, this, this is grammar time, and so this is when the, your eyes start rolling back up in your head. What is, what is the word great? What part of speech is great? It's an adjective. Very good. It's an adjective. And what does an adjective do? It's... It modifies a noun. Yeah, it just, it, it's, a, it's descriptive. It describes... See all this free stuff you get, Mark, this morning? It just, it's, it's descriptive. It modifies or it describes an, an, a noun. So, great is modifying what noun? In Lamentations 3.23. His faithfulness. His faithfulness is great. Now, now this, this adjective can have 
one of two meanings. It could be quantitative. It could be quantitative, meaning much or many or great. So if you said uh, his, uh, Napoleon's army was a great army, he, he led a great army, probably in that context, we'd be talking about numbers, a massive amounts. So sometimes it can be quantitative. Um, if we were to say, uh, again, a great army, we we're probably referring to numbers. It can also be qualitative. Right? Great can be qualitative. It can be degree, power, extraordinary. So if we say God is great, we're not saying he's many in numbers. We're saying he's what? He is powerful and wonderful in his person. So, if we were to say, or look at Lamentations 3.23, it says, great is your faithfulness. Do you think that that great is quantitative or qualitative? Both? Okay. Not in the sense that God is many in number, but, but certainly qualitative. Uh, we, could say, we could say if it's quantitative, it's abundant. His faithfulness is expressed abundantly to us and certainly qualitatively in terms of the wonderfulness of it, the, the extraordinary nature of God's faithfulness to us is great. Great in its abundance and great in its magnificence and in, 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 uh, how wonderful it is. Now, turn back to Psalm. The Psalms are the ones that really magnify the faithfulness of God. To turn to Psalm 36. We'll kind of walk through some of these Psalms to talk about the faithfulness of God. Then we'll talk about our faithfulness. Psalm 36. It's right in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 36 comes right after 35. And right before 37, 36, Psalm 36, verse 5. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. This this metaphor of the immensity, the infinite, in other words, the, the infinite nature of God's faithfulness to his people. Psalm 57, 10. Psalm 57. Listen, we, we, we need to get a hold of this. We need to get a hold, before we talk about our faithfulness, we need to get a hold of the faithfulness of God to us. Psalm 57.10, In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord in whom I trust, or, or the, the, in Lord who, in who, the word I praise, in God I trust, I am not afraid, what can man do to me? Now, that's good, that's 56.10, but let's go to 57.10. Here we go. For great is your love, reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Again, this notion of reaching to the skies. 86.15. Psalm 86.15. You can just, we'll just kind of march, keep marching on. Psalm 86.15. Uh, yes, it would, be the, it would be the one that's right after 85. But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding... In love and faithfulness. Abounding. Again, that, that, that's probably another uh, way of describing great. His, his greatness in his, is, is abounding in faithfulness. 100 verse 5. 
For the Lord is good and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So this is, this is talking about the duration of His faithfulness. It, it is eternal. It is infinite in His faithfulness. Uh, let's, let's go to 119.90. Let's, there's many, many more. 119 verse 90. Your faithfulness, I love to hear pages turning. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Let me read that again. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. If I was to um, sum up God's faithfulness, it's commitment. God is committed to His people. And His commitment to them is abundant. His commitment to them is eternal. His faithfulness is never-ending. Great is His faithfulness. So when we talk about faithfulness, we talk about being conformed to the image of Christ. What do you think uh, when the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness? What should be the nature of our faithfulness? It's interesting when we talk about the faithfulness of man. Proverbs 26 says, Many a man proclaims his loyalty, but who can find a faithful man? That again. And then I'll I'll, I'll tell you a football slang for this. Many a man proclaims his loyalty, but who can find a faithful man? Okay, this is what we, uh, uh, our interpretation as a football player. Talk is cheap. That's essentially what he's saying. He's saying a lot of people claim their loyalty, but who, who can find a faithful person? A lot of people say, I'm faithful, but is, talk is cheap. Are you really faithful? Is faithfulness something that is characteristic of your life? I want us to look this morning, and we'll wrap, we'll wrap up here in a minute. What is the major threat to our faithfulness to Christ? When we think of our faithfulness... It's not just faithfulness to each other, but first and foremost is a faithfulness to Christ. What is the major threat to our faithfulness in Christ? Our teenagers should have, should have an answer to this. What's an enemy of our faithfulness to Christ? Turn now to 1 John. If you're a guest here, normally we don't bounce around like this. Normally we preach through a book of the Bible, but um, we're bouncing around, so I apologize for that. So, and, and, and Chris... First John, in the back. And, and, and if you need to leave, guys, you know you, it does not offend me at all if you need. Okay, okay, good. Um, First John chapter 2. Not the Gospel of John, but the Epistle of John, which is near the end of your New Testament. First John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. The one threat, one of the major threats to our faithfulness to Christ, as John says, is the world. Now, when he says the world, he's not talking about creation. He's not talking about the mountains. He's not talking about, uh, you know, water skiing and things like that. What he's talking about is the world system. The world system that hates, the God, hates God, hates the Lord, is enemies of, of the Lord. This world system that's in rebellion against God 
it, and, and it's seductive to us. And he, he describes three things. What does he say? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. That these things are constantly trying to get us to turn our faithfulness away from Christ to it. The world is not talking about people. He's not talking about don't love people. Why do we know? By the way, this is the gospel. The author is John. Why do we know for sure that God, John's not talking about when he says don't do not love the world? He's not talking about people. What does John record Jesus' words in John chapter three? Yeah, for God so loved the world. So he's not talking about people. He's not saying that you know we're, we're to be these. Uh, uh, like some, we're not to be cloistered and we, we just hate everybody else. He's talking about the world system, this age, this world age, is what he's talking about. I mean, there's a lot of things out there that, that, that vie for, um, for our allegiance. And he said it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Uh, there, was a, uh, there was a disciple of, of Paul, and his name was Demas. He's a little known character. If you'd have, uh, if you were to trace Demas's life, you see that Demas traveled with Paul. Um, can you imagine traveling with the Apostle Paul, hearing Paul preach? Of course, if, you, if you're spending time with Paul, you probably spent some time behind bars uh, uh, or getting beat up. Uh, so his, he was committed. And if you travel with Paul, you're committed. Um, but it's, it's sad because we see, and you don't have to turn there, 2 Timothy 4.10, we see this. Paul is writing to Timothy. And he says, uh, verse 9, Do your best to come to me quickly for Demas, because he loved this world, this age, this world system, with all that this world had to offer him, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. I, I, I've seen... I've seen it all, it seems like. I've seen something as, and, and by the way, we're not talking about maybe even gross sin stuff. I've seen families completely drop out of the church and drop out of their faith over soccer. Over kids' soccer. We had a family that attended this church that dropped out and they're still not involved in community. They're still not involved in fellowship because of soccer. So we're not talking about Sinful things, even. But just things that this world has to offer. Uh, There are many people who are are out of fellowship and have turned away from relationship with Christ to to do all kinds of hobbies and recreation. I commend this church. Uh, This is an exceptional church in terms of its faithfulness. Not just to each other, not just to the Lord in terms of attending. By the way, don't ever, don't ever apologize about asking people to come to church. This is one of the ways we serve the Lord. We come to church. It doesn't have to. You don't have to serve in the nursery, although we 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 probably could use some help there. Uh, you could, it doesn't mean that service does not mean that just mean that you have to work with our children, although we could use some help there. But one of the biggest ways you serve the Lord is to faithfully attend church on Sunday morning. Now you understand. I'm not talking about you should never take vacation. I, I feel like I always have to. We're not obviously we're not talking about that. Don't be legalistic about it. And there's faithfulness. Let's be faithful. And I'm so grateful to this church for its faithfulness. It really is. It really is exceptional. I want to commend you in that. But God expects us to be faithful. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is faithfulness. Yes. 
Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he'll understand. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Man, you, you, why don't you finish? Why don't you come on up? That's good. Yeah, no, I... I, there have been times in my life, yeah, I, I, that pull, that, that constant pull and rationalization is a, is a huge, because otherwise we, we wouldn't be able to pull it off. We have to rationalize at a certain point. When it comes to our relationship with Christ, there's all different kinds of ways we can rationalize. Well, you know, he'll understand. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, listen, the fruit of the Spirit is, is, is faithfulness. If, if, if you want to grow, if you want to really grow in your relationship with Christ, you are, you've got to cultivate a lifestyle of faithfulness to Him. Faithfulness to His Word. Faithfulness to His people. Faithfulness to prayer. The last one is self-control. How do you find... Okay, here's... How do you define self-control? There you go. Thank you. It's to control and restrain, but, but it's not just to control... What do we mean when we say control ourselves? It means to control what? Our thoughts, our emotions, it, to control our will. I, you know, it's interesting, I don't hear many people talk about that. That Our will is something we can control. A will is not a thing in us. It, it, is, it is a function of, uh, of who we are. We, can, we need to learn how to control our will, and certainly then our actions. Most of the time we think of self-control, we think of actions. And that certainly is included. Uh, and it's interesting when you talk about the world. How does how does the world feel about self control? The world says what? Freedom is freedom means no self control. It means no self restraint. If it feels good, do it. There's a lack of any personal restraint, and that's what our world. I'd be curious to know if you went out on the street and you asked someone to define what does freedom mean. They would probably have some kind of, to be able to do whatever I want. No rules. You know what the Bible calls that? Bondage. Bondage. Our world says freedom is a lack of any personal restraint. Just do whatever you want. For instance, indulge me for just a moment. You go to King Supers. And all the cars are parked like this. And there's a big arrow pointing this way. And you pull your you oh, it's pointing this. You pull your car in the way the arrows point in the way all the cars are angled. And someone does what? They come from the other side. Why? Because I don't care what the arrow says. I don't care the fact that I can't pull into any spot because of the angle of the cars. And, and I'm going to get mad at Jim because I can't move and there's no way then to get around me. See, that, that's just a, a minor example. That's just a minor example. Rules don't apply to me. How does that work in the Army? Uh, yeah. We'll talk later. So... We need to understand a couple things. Why would God say, why would God say of all the fruit of the Spirit we looked at, love, joy, peace, self-control, why is that so important to God? 
Because I think that a lack of self-control results in a destructive lifestyle. I think there's a real practical element to why God instills self-control in us and expects us to exhibit self-control. It is, it is personally destructive. A lack of self-control is personally destructive. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that leads to dissipation or debauchery, to wastefulness. To, to, to indulgence and wastefulness. And I think many of us maybe have grown up in families where someone has lacked self-control in what they drink. And they've seen what happens when someone exercises a lack of self-control personally in dissipation, in wasteful and foolish lifestyle. We, we call it addictions. And, and I'm not... The, the jury's still out to me on addiction. What, the, what it is and how the Bible relates to that. And that's for another time. But all I can say is that when we, exercise, when we, when we have a lack of restraint, self-restraint, self-control, it can become personally destructive through addiction. And I'm just going to pick on drinking because that's, that's a low-hanging fruit, right? But how many people, how many, how many alcoholics said when they took that first drink, I'm not going to be able to handle this. I'm not going to be able to stop. And I'm going to drink so much that my liver's going to drop out. And I'm going to die at the age of 35. How many of them said that? Not one of them. What do they say? Either, either consciously or subconsciously. I can handle it. I just have a few drinks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not just the army. Um, but a lack of self-control. Now, am I saying everybody drinks an alcoholic? No, but I'm saying, you know what? See, this is another sermon. So you thought you thought I chased some people off with Second Thessalonians. Wait till wait till I start talking about drinking. Okay, um, but no. Listen, one of the reasons God tells us to exercise self-control is there are very practical reasons. Is a, a lack of self-control is can be very personally destructive. Number two, it can be relationally destructive, which is related to number one, which is personally destructive. Um, Galatians 3 and 5, 16 through 17 talks about this, this battle within us between the, the, the flesh, lust against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And when we, and when we lack self-control, and this really overlaps number one, it can become relationally destructive. Constant conflict. Have you known, you know, by the way, I used to drive, you guys remember I drove part-time for RTD. Um, it, it amazed me what conversations people would have on their phone in public. The conflict, the confrontation uh, on this phone. And they would, they would say things, well, I, I, I can't even repeat them here. It amazed me, their lack of self-control, and, and, and it showed in their relationships, their constant conflict. And again, once again, we all, we all seen the results of uh, of alcoholism and other kind of personally destructive behaviors and what that does to relationships. Three, it's physically destructive. Disease, injury. Because, listen, sometimes we need extra self-control in things that we do and in, in activities that we involve ourselves in. How many, how many of you saw that uh, National Geographic, uh, oh, what's his name? He climbed El Capitan free solo. 
Do you know what that means? No ropes and no one with him. 3,000 plus feet up a sheer... Now, that, that's pretty amazing. I mean, I knew that he... I watched it. I knew that he... Obviously, he, he made it. But I still had this... Did you have not have... Do you guys have, do you have this feeling, the pit of your stomach? Like, this is, this is outrageous. The, 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 there's something that, uh, in terms of self-control, there's something going on there, a, a lack of restraint. That, I, I still predict if he keeps going, it, it will one day kill him, and I think he probably will say the same thing. It can be spiritually destructive. Um, in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul uses a, 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 a metaphor of running, a race, and it would have been a marathon race, and he... He likens his spiritual life and his ministry to this marathon race. And he says, I buffet my body. I discipline myself so that after having preached to others, I myself would not be disqualified. Now, the disqualified there is not lose his salvation. If you've trusted in Christ, um, if you've been born again, you can't lose that. What does he mean by disqualified? I think he means he's talking about discredit, about bringing reproach. He said, if I don't live a life of self-discipline and I, and, I, and I engage in things that I shouldn't be engaging in, I will bring discredit to myself. I bring discredit to the church. I bring, worst of all, I bring discredit to Christ and reproach to Christ. I think that's what he means by disqualified. I don't want to preach this message. The thing that, the thing that, that is most sobering to me is to ever think that I would, that I would do something because of a lack of self-control or a lack of holiness, that I would have to face you guys and confess something that has brought reproach on the body of Christ. That, I just get goosebumps thinking of ever having to do that. What does Scripture say? And we'll close. 2 Timothy 1.7 he says, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline, self-control. One of the signs of a life that is filled with the spirit is a life that is characterized by self-control. What do we need to bring under control? We need to bring under control our thought life. Paul talks about this in Philippians. Whatever things are noble, whatever things are true, think and meditate upon these things. It all begins with our thought life. We need to bring our thought life under control. We need to bring our appetites under control. Food. I've gotten back in control. I was out of control in my eating. I've gotten back to exercising. I'm watching what I eat. Um... And, and, and it has really nothing to do with food, and it has everything to do with self-control. I had to get that under control. Because you know what, guys? When you're out of control in one area of your life, it's probably going to spread to other areas of your life. Our appetites. It's not just, obviously, illicit sexual gratification, but food. What about self-control over what we buy? We buy stuff we don't even need. We need to bring our appetites under control. Um, our emotions. Some of us need to bring our emotions under control. Anger. And here's another one. Depression. Now, again, this gets that kind of the addition thing. I, I, the jury's out. If you would have asked me 30 years ago, 
a, a biblical view of depression. I would have given you one answer that I don't give now because I'm 59 and I'm a little more acquainted. Spend a little more time in the state of depression. No, but listen, we need maybe maybe the reason why people get sometimes get into such deep states of oppression is they, they didn't control their emotions early on and they just went with it. And now they're, now they're in a, a hole so deep they can't climb out by themselves. I don't know. Control our emotions, our anger. Um, we need to get our speech under control. We talked about this several weeks ago when we went through the book of Proverbs. Uh, the, the words that we say, and how we say them, when we say them, all of these things are part of self-control. What's the key? I do want you to turn to Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk with wine, but what? But be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18. Do not be drunk with wine. By the way, a lot of people... Now, we'll talk about that later. I don't want to open up that can. I won't be able to close the lid. I know. Look at, look at Blake going, do it, do it. Um, exactly. I just exercised a great deal of self-control just now. Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Look at the contrast. He's saying, I don't want you to be under the control of wine. I want you to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. How do we get self-control? over our thoughts, our appetites, our, our emotions, our actions, is be being filled with the Spirit. How does this work? The Bible doesn't tell us. If you look at Ephesians 5.18, what does it say on how to be filled with the Spirit? Be filled. But how? What does that mean? How do we do that? How do we, it doesn't say. So let me give you my best guess. Not my best guess, but what I practice. What I attempt to practice. Three steps. Number one, yield. And what I mean by yield is, do you really want to control your life? Do you really want to control your eating? Do you really want to control your speech? Do you really want to? And, you, and, and oftentimes you say, oh, of course. I, I'm reminded of, of that time when Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda and there was an invalid, a paralyzed man who had been laying there all his life. And they had this superstition that if the wa- when the water stirred, it was being stirred by angels. And if you got in there while the angels were stirring the water, you'd be healed. And Jesus said, why aren't you in there? And he said, well, no, one's, no one puts me in there. I can't get there. No one can put me there. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, here's a guy, quadriplegic, laying on a mat. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? What, I'm, I'm asking Jesus, why would you ask that question? What do you think the guy said? I'd like a new car. I want a new job. What, what, what kind of question is that? The, the reason Jesus asked that question is I think he's saying, do you, really, do you really want to be healed? And oftentimes, oh, of course I do, but do you really want to? Do you really want to gain control over your emotions? Or do you really kind of enjoy Lack of self-control. Or your appetites. Or your actions. So the first question, you've got to be just brutally honest with yourself. Do I really want to? Can, do I, whatever it is in my life that I'm out of control in, do I really want to get control of that area of my life? 
That's number one. And you need to yield. You need to surrender. You need to submit. You need to say, I really want to. I really want to gain control over this. And now the question is not, okay, now I've got to work real hard at controlling it. No, the second step is to simply ask. Being filled with the Spirit isn't a passive. It is something that is done to us. So we ask, God, would you fill me with your Spirit? Would you give me the power and the ability to gain control over fill in the blank? You simply ask. The third one is you just believe by faith that he's done it. I guarantee, and I can't guarantee this, probably you will not see an angelic choir coming down out of the sky singing the hallelujah chorus. You're probably not going to have any visions. You're probably not going to get goosebumps, you're probably not going to feel anything differently because that's the nature of faith. We believe by faith that when we ask him, we really want to gain control and we really want to exercise self-control in our life. We don't have the power and the ability to do that in and of ourselves. It is a fruit of the Spirit. So what we do is we ask the Holy Spirit to fill us and empower us to gain control over whatever it is that we need control of. And then we ask Him to do that. And then we believe that He's doing it. And we'll do it. Simple. But hard, right? What if I blow it? What if I say, God, I really want to control my anger. Would you fill me with your spirit? Would you empower me? Would you enable me to, over, to, 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 to overcome and to control my, my emotion of anger? And then the next day you blow it. You, you blow up and, and you yell and scream or, or, or you exhibit a great deal of anger. What then? We've talked about this before. It's just simply confess. You confess and say, Lord, I blew it. I took control of my life again. And then you repeat steps one, two, and three. Guys, Galatians says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faith, and self-control. And by, by virtue of being fruit, it's something that the Holy Spirit produces. And yet, um, the Bible also gives us a command for these very things as well. That we have a role. The Holy Spirit empowers us. The Holy Spirit gives the ability to do it. But we have to yield. We have to ask. We have to believe. And when we do, and as we do, and over a period of time, we will see growth in these areas. You become a more joyous person. You become a more loving person. You become a more faithful, kind, gentle person. Over time, as God, Christ transforms us, as we yield our lives to the Holy Spirit, and without the Spirit of God, all of this is just impossible. It's just makeup over mumps, or measles, not mumps. You can't put makeup. you still got mumps, right? Make up over measles. It takes a vital personal relationship with Christ and an indwelling spirit in our lives to pull this off. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your people's patience this morning, their faithfulness. And Lord, I pray that, that as we live our lives in dependence and being filled and led by your spirit, that our lives would be more characteristic of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Father, not for our glory, but for yours. For our good, but for your glory. Lord, thank you again for this morning. We thank you again for, for Sam and the baptism. And, and Lord, what a, what a great time it has been this morning. 
And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.